0: Daily Wisdom Words. Daily Wisdom Words. Daily Wisdom Words Podcast, a writing-based podcast that takes you into the minds of writers. Yes, and we give you a whole lot of discussion. Let's get into it.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Daily Wisdom Words Podcast. I am your co-host, Rini O'Day. Hey
0: everyone, I'm your co-host, Neil Torelli. We want to give you a very warm welcome to our latest episode.
1: Join us every Saturday at 9 a.m pacific standard time as we talk to some guests who have stories advice and life hacks all of which take us one step closer to the feeling of hope.
0: Today's conversation has been a long time coming. We're very proud to welcome author rapper and mental health advocate Rohan Sharma aka RX Monday Hey Rohan hey, Hi Rohan nice Hi, to meet Thank you so me. Yeah
1: It's a, it, yeah. we are honored to have you really Definitely yeah. definitely my pleasure I know that you and Neil have met in the past and um and he said you're in Philadelphia?
2: Yeah I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia I'm outside in uh, Bucks County PA So um, Would
1: you mind sending me a Philly cheesesteak with oh up. my god they are the yeah. best in the world sure. in, in, philly, in philly so um <laughs> yeah welcome yeah yeah welcome, welcome welcome
0: and uh before uh we get started with the questions i thought i would um explain briefly explain to the audience i said this has been a long time coming so just for those who don't know the give them a little context, a couple of years ago, you wrote a very inspiring memoir called A Very Thin Line, oh, and you. I was one of the few lucky people to w- get an advanced copy so I could review it, and that's how sort of I got to know of you and know of your story, and so when I say long time coming, it's like from two years ago, reading your memoir to writing a review, full circle to now interviewing you on this podcast, so this is Absolutely. a pleasure to have there yeah means
2: so much to me neil thank you so much
0: yeah absolutely so i guess can you explain briefly uh what your memoir was about kind of summarize and what happened to you you know regarding sort of the misdiagnosis or you know from this college psychiatrist
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the memoir, A Very Thin Line, My Journey with Bipolar is basically a uh, jail memoir. So it was a a memoir of detailing my time spent incarcerated in the Philadelphia um, prison system. And uh, like you had mentioned, I was in uh, medical school. I was at Drexel University, actually. In uh, Drexel? Drexel University College of Medicine. Wow. Wow. On the outside, uh, things looked like they were going really well. But uh really, inside there was all this inner t- turmoil that was uh, occurring which I, which I feel like it has to manifest in some form or fashion um if you especially if you don't address it, you suppress it but uh, mm-hmm. this time when i when I was starting my uh, first year of medical school, i was um already uh struggling quite a bit, and at this point, I knew something was off, and i just i knew I had to get help in some form or fashion so I went to see the school psychiatrist at drexel and um Unfortunately, because I wasn't fully honest with her, uh, you know, she was asking me uh, questions point blank. Like, um, does it feel like uh, she, she got the depressive side of the manic depression quite easily. And um, I just really didn't want to be there. I felt like I was only in med school to make my family happy. Really had no, no ambition to be there. And uh, she, she just asked me questions point blank. Like, does it feel like uh, people could read your thoughts? Does it feel like your radio is talking to you? And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, how could she have known that? Was she reading my thoughts right now? Like, that's the only thing that made sense to me. So I just kept quiet. I said, um, I said, no, you know, because I was afraid they were going to lock me up in some mental institution for the rest of my life if I said, if I was honest with her. So because I wasn't fully honest, she ended up prescribing antidepressants, which I'm sure uh, as some, uh, some of your viewers may know, uh, for someone who's diagnosed as a bipolar type one, uh, which I wasn't, I was undiagnosed at this time what it can do uh, without giving in conjunction with a mood stabilizer is it can get rid of your depression, but then it can raise you to an even higher manic state, which happened Mm -hmm. to me. And I was already unstable uh, quite a bit. So um, yeah, the following weeks and uh, months were just total chaos. I was uh, drinking pretty much every night just to try and help uh, mitigate my racing thoughts. I was uh, going out gambling my parents were giving me money for oh. groceries and I was going to the casino and just blowing, and blowing it all, very reckless behavior. Yeah. And um, yeah, I even went out and got a tattoo uh, very impulsively without thinking about it. And um, yes, yeah, it, it just goes to uh, show that um, later I would find out this is all textbook manic behavior. Mm-hmm. But while you're yeah. you the midst of it, you, you have no idea what's going on. And finally, after a mm-hmm. uh, period of about uh, a month of barely sleeping. I went through, uh, four days with no sleep whatsoever. Um, and it was at this point I was up all night uh, for the fourth day in a row now. And I actually opened my own neck up to try and, uh, dissect it. And I was, i, I sorry, I probably should have said a, uh, uh, graphic warning before that, but, um, I feel like it's important to the story because it tells you what my state of mind was at this time. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: It, was, yeah, it was, it was horrific. It was, um, uh, I ended up after the, when morning came um, from being up all night doing that to my neck, I ended up um, calling my drug dealer to see if he could front me some more marijuana. At this time, marijuana was the only thing that put me to sleep. um, And I'd run out, had no cash. Uh, He said no, because I already owed him from before. Uh, And I I learned this later on from a psychiatrist that during a manic episode, which this uh, clearly was a case of, um, you lose what's called impulse control, and whatever your first impulse comes to your mind, whatever's in your subconscious mind just comes to the surface, you really have no control over it, and in this case, uh, after hanging up the phone with him, my first thought was, hey, I should just rob this guy, and very uncharacteristic, not, oh, not no. like at all, and uh, what ended up happening is that I went to a uh, gun store, purchased a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson um, handgun, and uh, attempted a armed robbery, and things just and then got.
1: The gun store yeah. let you walk out with a gun.
2: Yeah. In a manic I, state. In fact, I even had my coat. Uh, it was like a. It was just a regular fleece, but I had it cover covering the neck uh, wound that I had. And yeah, I, I'm still damn shocked that it was so easy to just go in, walk out with a gun. Very scary to think about. And. Um, yeah, the, the robbery went bad. His his wife walked in on it and uh, immediately called the cops. Uh, cops showed up. Um, three shots were fired, actually, as I was running into the middle of the street. I didn't know who was doing the shooting, but I just knew if I run into the middle of this of traffic, they, they would have to, you know, I'd have a better chance of not getting shot. So um, fortunately for me, a, a car stopped, drove me to Temple uh, Hospital because at this point, the neck. Uh, wound had reopened and it was bleeding I uh, went there to get my uh, neck stitched up there was there the police caught up with me and uh starting asking all these questions and of course my story you know didn't make sense at all I was just super manic at this point and I just I don't know I just remember like uh it was either before the cops came or after I just remember laughing hysterically and it was just like so disturbing to think about now that I was in that state of mind what could what happened you know and uh fortunately no one was hurt during the armed robbery and it was there the police took me to jail um where I uh stayed for a two-week period uh because the judge had put what's was known as a detainer on my situation meaning I couldn't get bailed out until certain uh stipulations have been met in this case I had to meet with the jail psychiatrist and um it was just a very dark period in my life and uh yeah, I'm trying to think now. The, um, after getting bailed out, oh, it was actually the jail psychiatrist who, who I met um, started explaining what was going on to me that, hey, we think you have bipolar type 1. We think the... And she said it was a really easy case to diagnose that it happened before in the past. So, and uh, fortunate for me, my parents were very understanding. And uh, not only... Yeah, not exactly. Not only paid my uh, bail, which was set at $20,000, they had to pay 10% of that in order to get me out. But they also hired a uh, 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 criminal defense lawyer to fight the case right away, and things just got, uh, I don't want to say better right away, because it, it was still a very dark period of my life, the period while I was out on bail, but, um, yeah, it was just, it was a, uh, a, a nightmare, yeah. Oh,
1: okay, you're back. Um, you ended up spending, like, two years?
2: 23 months, yeah. Yeah, so... It yeah, so seems like happened, a lot
1: of time
2: yeah it was it was but I think uh looking back on it, it was it was by far the best thing that ever happened to me I um well I'll just back up for a second when, when I was out on bail I was out for a year and a half uh while my lawyer was fighting the case and the first deal they offered me was three to five years upstate which I said no oh, to. Oh wow yeah very very scary uh situation and um he, uh, yeah, he ended up getting me in what's called mental health court, which is a uh, form of court where they go a little bit, give you a lighter sentence, given that you have a mental health condition, which clearly was the case. And uh, they ended up offering me a deal for 23 months in county jail, uh, followed by 10 years of probation. And uh, as I always say, you know, my presentation was the hardest thing I ever had to go through, but I came out in April of 2015, just a completely different person. And I'm just so grateful to- um, Thank you. A-
1: I think you're the only person that will ever said say gel was a good thing. <laughs> you know, yeah, but it, hey, I'm, the, I'm happy.
2: Yeah, that's you. what, uh, the, it wasn't at first, you know, that first month was a complete mm-hmm. nightmare. And that's what the book details is sort of this journey of self-transformation and the work I did on myself. I'm, I'm actually a, uh, a big believer in like law of attraction type things. And uh, actually, yeah. I wouldn't even say I'm a believer. I would say I know it to be true. And um yeah, like I said, the first month was a nightmare. I was, I was. Uh, there was fights happening every day. I'm, I'm not equipped in that sense for the violence that I saw, and uh, what well, made it worse, the you know the CEOs, the correction officers, and guards are just laughing while you know they're egging on these fights to happen instead of stopping it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm calling my family up. I'm saying, hey, look, I made a terrible mistake. You got to get me out of here, and uh, there was really nothing they could do at that point. So it was, um, it was really. I credit my uh the positive aspects of my sentence to my mom actually because it was at that point she started sending me books on things like the power of positive thinking where literally everything started to transform and turn around it was it was actually really amazing and um i noticed that um when i did the inner work on myself as i made that inner transformation my sort of like my outer world started Uh as crazy as that might sound um it may, I started making friends, uh, you know, people were looking out for me. I was just, you know, engaged in these incredible books, uh, memoirs, actually, like Nelson Mandela's uh, Long Walk of Freedom, Victor mm-hmm. Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And I thought to myself, you know, how, how could I be upset and uh, at what happened to me when these people have just gone through, you know, uh, seems like hell on earth. And uh, that really helped to make my sense a lot easier, so...
1: Do you remember like the first time you had an inkling of being bipolar? Was it like middle school? Were you bullied? Something like that?
2: I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, the start of my story, the symptoms actually began around middle school. I was bullied, um, actually. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, I would get these like, as I often describe them, these overwhelming waves of sadness that I just couldn't control. My eyes would literally water for, for no reason and I didn't even think a chemical imbalance was a real thing. I didn't know what it was. So in hindsight it's very obvious that there was a mood disorder there but I, again I didn't speak up. And then um, yeah so it carried over into high school college. my behavior got very reckless. I ended up getting arrested when I was 16 just for uh, minor vandalism but it was just there was definitely hints like you said of uh, the bipolar start, starting to emerge and it only got
0: worse.
1: Yeah. What happened in middle school?
2: Yeah, um, middle school. I it was just uh, kids would tease me, uh, call me crybaby. They would say, um, you know, this for this, these things. I couldn't really control my mood. I I really couldn't control it. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it was also a lot of things going on at home too. If I'm being honest, it was uh, my mom was going through her bouts of uh, manic depression as well, which I didn't know at the time that she she was bipolar. I thought she was just sad, and I had no idea. And as a kid, you think everything's your fault. So um, there was actually one one uh, big like landmark memory I have when I was in high school, and it was my uh, family came. I uh, came downstairs, and they basically asked me what I wanted to be uh, when I grew up, and I didn't really have an answer for them. But uh, they had told me, well, you, you could either be a doctor or a lawyer, which in uh, Indian households is a very common. Yeah. Uh, thing and uh you know i know they have my best interest at heart but in my mind i'm actually believing that this is true and then not having like a, a career to look forward to only made my depression worse um mm. to the point where it just yeah it came out full force in med school so uh really really just a a cyclone of emotions i would describe it as
0: yeah and and uh, you bring up an interesting recurring theme here that you talked about middle school, not knowing what was going on with your mom, not knowing what was going on with yourself. And I think that brings us to awareness, right? Lack of awareness that exists everywhere. I mean, just not enough. And that brings me to a question that you, you had talked about this in your book about how you're not fond of the term bipolar, right? Because you believed it's not accurate in describing all the symptoms. So this is like a two-part question. A is how would you personally define bipolar, and B, what would be a more accurate name for it?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Neil. I um I since come to terms with the uh, with the term. I don't I don't uh, I wouldn't say I hate it uh, now, but right, right, It it definitely doesn't for the reasons you you already mentioned. It doesn't encompass uh, the delusions, the psychosis. I feel like it's if you say someone's just bipolar it kind of makes you think that they just have these mood swings um the term I would use I, I felt like manic depression was a more uh accurate name but uh, I guess the psych- psychiatric uh, world has stopped calling it that some years back um yeah I think manic depression is more accurate because the mania is really where the delusions and the psychosis come in come into play and um Otherwise, people might get the wrong idea that it's just uh, uh, ups and downs that we all have, so. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's not just a matter of, right, oh, one minute he laughs, one minute he cries, that's bipolar, and of course, no, of course not. There's so many layers and so much intricacies, so much more than that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, and
2: I think to someone who's uneducated would, would just make that assumption that it is uh, just a char- characteristic, and they would probably, Excuse me, look at my crime and say, Well, why did that happen? You know, it wouldn't make sense then. But very very Everybody
1: Everybody needs to take a psychology course in college. I'm telling you. You learn so much. You really do. You you gain empathy a lot too. Because you know, you know, people everybody's different and people act the way they do for a reason. So, you know. But also in your memoir. You talk about happiness as being a choice. Now, okay, in your manic state, would you have said that? Um,
2: that's, that's, these are great questions, uh, Rini. I think that, um, yeah, it just, it felt like it came so much more naturally when I was manic. Uh, when I said it was a choice, I, I mostly meant like um, whatever circumstances you're facing, uh, you can choose to be happy despite that. I so agree. That, I, mean,
1: I do. I do. I yeah. agree. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. do you know who Mel Robbins is?
2: I do. I do. Yeah. I yeah. Her. yeah.
1: She's the gal that says, get up every morning and high five yourself.
2: Tell that. yourself.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I get up every morning and I high five myself. No. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> this, uh, that's, I'm so glad you brought mm-hmm. that
2: up. That's really relatable. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, I guess when the the, the basomania do occur, it seems like, it, now that I think about it, it does seem like less of a choice, more of a chemical mm-hmm. thing going on. Well, yeah.
1: Um, depression and anxiety are diseases. They are, yeah. It's because your brain is not producing enough of one chemical or another. Right. So it's like alcoholism is a disease. You don't choose to be an alcoholic. You right. have genetically dispositioned to become one, right. you know, right. and so you know, it takes time to fix it's these hard, things. I,
2: and I wouldn't say uh, I, w- I wouldn't say to someone who's going through depression like you can just choose to be happy because you're absolutely right. There are yeah. Yeah. components to that, and for me, it took it took you know I would say years. Like when I was out on bail, I was very depressed, uh, drinking again, and uh, gained a lot of weight as well. And um, yeah, Come I mean, if
1: you're
2: yeah, it's a Philly cheesy, yeah. yeah. It was just, uh, you know, uh, not wanting to deal with my emotions and just eating away my feelings. And uh, there's also side effects on the medication, mood stabilizers.
1: Oh, yeah. There are serious side effects. Yeah. On some of those yeah. medications. And, and some of them will cause you to think yeah. suicidal thoughts. So right. you're going, wait a minute, this is supposed to be helping me, but I want to die? Wait, <laughs> something, you know. Right. Yeah, you know. I, think, yeah. I think
2: it helps to know that it's not you like it's it's um, not you it's take your, step,
1: yeah
2: take one step remove yourself, that,
0: mm-hmm. remove yourself like what do you think when you were going through this journey I'm, I'm sure there were lots of misconceptions but what do you think was one of the most the biggest misconception as far as you're uh, dealing with bipolar especially the outsiders looking in
2: Um, yeah, these are, uh, really great, they're really making me think, I'm just thinking back to, um, yeah, the, the other students in med school, I can't, I can't even imagine what they thought because I was just going out drinking, you know, uh, um, to excess pretty much every, every night and, uh, maybe people on the outside looking, they might have just thought I was irresponsible and making bad choices, but, um, was only when I had like a real sit down with the psychiatrist where they explained, no, this is like textbook manic behavior uh, you're not the only one That's sort of like it didn't like um, I wouldn't say like I still uh, clearly I made those choices but I feel like it did absolve some of the guilt because but you were
1: doing you were doing something you didn't want to do you didn't want to be in law school I mean school, uh, yeah. my husband's a lawyer sorry <laughs> do law. you no didn't worries. want to be in med school right right yeah. and yeah, was, so so your brain is telling you I don't want to do this. I hate this. Right. And to relieve that, you go out partying.
2: Right. And there's no, there's no, that was the way I would uh, try to uh, make,
1: justify it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And just try and um, get, some, get myself to feel, you know, something outside of those uh, uh, feeling like guilty, uh, feeling trapped. Uh, I wrote this in the book, but I felt like really scared. And when I, when you put those three emotions together, what, what choice does the universe have, but to give you, you know, a jail cell. I was, I literally manifested all the emotions into my outer reality. And You put
1: you put people's lives in jeopardy. So you had as- to be accountable for that.
2: Right. Right. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I do look back on it and uh, there's definitely a, a remorse factor there as well. You know, what I put, um, people through and uh it's it's just it it was a lot of guilt at once
0: but i had to work it took years to work my way
1: through that yeah but you did it yeah Yeah. Yeah. you did it yeah i I I mean
0: like uh i don't know if this was in your book or i heard you say it in a youtube video somewhere that like all these years physically and tangibly that you were not in prison and out and free like a normal citizen you were trapped and in prison but when you went in is when psychologically you started coming obviously it was a long process but you, that's when you started coming around and I thought I'd love that quote when you had said that somewhere in a speaking arrangement or it might have even been at your book context forget, but I just thought that was a wonderful way of putting it that tangibly physically you were inside but mentally you were starting to release yourself and I thought brilliant way of putting it so
2: I, well, thank you. Dude. Yeah, it was just, it was like the yeah. jail cell of my own mind that I put myself through mm-hmm. yeah. uh, high school, college and, and med school. And then during my incarceration, that is ironic that that was sort of the, yeah. uh, the, where the freedom came from, where I didn't have to base my emotions on my circumstances. I could just, you know, put my foot down every morning in jail and just say, you know, today's going to be a great day. And sort of like the uh, Mel Robbins high five yourself. Yeah,
1: um, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, Neil.
0: As far <laughs> as currently, where are do you feel good? Like where are you in terms of therapy, medication, and mental space? How how positive is it? You know, you still have bad days. Where, where are you, are right you now? you? Are you
1: still seeing someone?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's just uh, miles miles above where I was before. Like it's it's hard to even believe. Like I was at a um a uh, Sixers game last season. My brother had taken me to a uh, uh, Sixers game, and we were like almost courtside. And the Sixers,
1: just... the yeah, Sixers okay. were in town this uh, weekend playing the Sacramento Kings, oh. and my son is a chef, and he cooked for them.
0: No he cooked three
1: meals. Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's they, yeah they stand at the hotel. You were set, so
2: Huge yeah, thing. pretty cool. And, mm-hmm. and I was just, I was telling my friend this the other day that the the gap of going from, like, absolute rock bottom to, you know, being in such a positive uh, mental, you asked me where where I'm at today, I would say, uh, very much so, a much more positive um, headspace. And I think what what contributes to that is the fact that I'm making music now, which is my absolute uh, passion, and I love to rap, which is another great gift that came to me from jail, I learned how to rap. And uh, yeah, this I, I couldn't even fathom this uh, in med school that I would be living uh, a life full of excitement and and passion. I'm writing, and uh, yeah, I do see a case manager um, comes to my house every Friday, and we have sort of like a therapy session every Friday, and we just talk about like my goals, where I'm at, and um, anything. Yeah, I just don't keep things bottled up now. Anything that was uh, mm. that bothers me, I tr- I try to be. I think authenticity is like the 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 biggest word for me uh, lately is I'm just trying to be more authentic, to, uh, true to myself and true to the people around me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say I'm, I'm miles above where I was before. It is still a work in progress. I think as it is with everybody to so just go, every night I like to recap the day and just think what were the best things that happened to me on this day. And um, I have a little gratitude rock that I hold when I do this. And it's a, it's a you're process.
1: amazing, you're I'm amazing. <laughs> I mean, come on, you went from the bottom of the barrel, right, you know, you're at the top, yeah. waving everybody, <laughs> on. you know, really, I mean, I that's right. so and cool, I,
2: yeah, I definitely feel that way, but, um, to, and having your
1: parents help, having oh, your parents find you,
2: if I could just mention <laughs> a, a brief story, actually, I'm so glad you brought that up as well, because um, while I was incarcerated, I think it was like, Uh, four to six months into my sentence. I wrote wrote this in my book actually as well. There was another Indian uh, kid there. He was 19 on on another block. And um, one day the jail goes into lockdown as it often did when somebody got stabbed or there was a a fight broke Uh out. And so I go back to my cell thinking that's what it was. And the next day um, an officer uh, comes up to me and says, hey, you know, that Indian kid hung himself and i was just oh. i was just devastated because um i later learned that his parents were keeping him there sort of like to teach him a lesson he was on the other mental health block uh, k block yeah and his schizo in his schizophrenic state i think uh, from what i gathered from the story was that he stole from like a convenience store and his bail was like fifty dollars it was like five hundred dollars they would have had to pay fifty dollars to get him out It just it, it really broke my heart because I, I knew the fear that he felt. I felt that as well when I was first incarcerated. The only difference between us was I had understanding parents who paid my bail. And it, it just even well, to me, it gets emotional. Yeah.
1: Do you know what his parents' consequence is? They have to know that their kid hung themselves because of them. And they I, I have to live that with that the rest of their, the rest of their lives. Of their lives. I,
2: I can't even fathom what what that uh, guilt must feel like, but it's yeah you're you're exactly right. That's just uh, terrible terrible situation. Yeah,
1: just awful. So you had mentioned, uh, have you ever cut yourself besides the um yeah. self the neck?
0: Yeah, during
2: um during the manic episode, I actually made cuts all over my body. Yeah. Uh, the neck was the most. Prominent. Yeah,
1: because manics usually cut.
2: Yeah, that's and why I-, I
1: was curious.
2: And I had I had never done that up to that point, but a psychiatrist later explained to you during a manic state you have all this energy, and you need to release it somehow. So cutting actually helps you to. And
1: to you want to feel. You want to feel. Right. It's yeah, like right. you you like you like you're empty inside, and you want to make sure that you can feel, so you cut yourself.
2: It's like a numbness, right? And you're just exactly mm-hmm. what you yeah. Said. yeah, you're just trying to get that uh, yeah. any type of feeling whatsoever. Yeah. But um, and, and then that there was the case.
0: Like a- yeah, when I, I'm sorry to interrupt, I just had to no. say when I first read that in your book, and I remember almost having tears in my eyes because I'd gone through some something similar in a self harm phase when my depression had hit its peak. So when I was reading your book, and I was oh, like, man. that was so relatable, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And it was like, so yeah. I got it like right away. It was like, oh, yeah,
1: and that's why we need books like yours out there. That's, oh
2: yeah. man, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad you that's said good. that, Neil, because uh, you know, p- putting that into a book uh was kind of no i wouldn't say risky but it was kind of like you're opening yourself up but to hear that it it helps helps people and it's relatable like you said unfortunately but it is relatable that that means that means a lot to me so
1: i bet you i bet you help people you don't even know you know i I bet you have
2: i like to think we all do in some ways uh that 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 means so much to me though rey thank you so much
1: so um tell us a little bit about your music you know how and when and why and is it you it know the
0: real your real
1: job,
0: job. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah, so it hey, it's
1: a, a real job if it's paying it the bills is, no, no it is it I, is i, I'm sorry, I tell I mean, my I kids funny
0: with both but yeah, i know I, I meant that like yeah it is an actual profession and you're doing really
1: well i it, so. i tell my kids every single day find your passion and you'll never <laughs> work a day in your life
2: oh that's amazing yeah that's that's amazing advice yeah. i feel like um Well, the how, the how is actually an interesting story. I I was in uh, jail, I was like, I think six months in, and I actually had a cellmate who was like, you know, everybody in jail raps, and they Uh um, express themselves in that way, a lot of them. And uh, my cellmate was actually one of the better rappers on the block. And the day he got released, actually, um, the, yeah, the morning he got released, all of a sudden we were in the cell together for probably like a month. And then like the day he left, Suddenly, all these rhymes just started coming to me, and I was like, "Wow, I got to write these down!" And then I was like, uh-huh. "I think I have a real gift for it." Yeah, I started rapping for inmates in Mason Dale. They were like, "Bro, you got to go with this!" Like, you know, it was—you never
1: uh, know what's going to trigger your—you yeah. your, never uh, know. creativity. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely
2: right. And uh, up to that point, you know, I, I didn't—I didn't really delve into poetry too much. But after that, I just became obsessed. I was ordering notepads off Commissary, just writing down. Brother Rhymes uh, came to me honing my craft. And then, um, yeah, and then once I came out, I had all the resources uh, of uh, my best friend. Uh, my uh, He was a roommate of mine in college. is also really into music as well, so we created music together. And, um, yeah, my uh, I didn't really put any projects out uh, until last year. It was mostly just freestyles that I would put up on my YouTube channel. And then um, I ended up making a, a short EP. It was only four songs, um, but... It was called The Mandela Effect, and that came out during uh, when the yeah. quarantine hit last year. And I'm actually currently working on another EP, uh, which I'm very excited about, it's called Divinorum. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get well, I that I like out.
1: that. What does yeah. that mean?
2: Uh, so I'm so glad you asked that as well. It's a it's, uh, whole story in and of itself. But so one of the, um, you, like you mentioned Mel Robbins earlier, one of the big uh, mm-hmm. teachers I saw, his name is Bashar, and he's also in the book as well. Uh, I wrote about him as well. And he mentions that uh, Divinorum, I don't know if your audience is familiar with um, ayahuasca, but it's a psychedelic uh-huh. drink that you um, ingest and then you go on these trips and you discover more about yourself. Uh, in the book, I wrote a lot about dimethyl um, dimethyltryptamine, yeah. which I experimented with heavily in college. And I feel like that expanded my consciousness. You know, it
1: actually helps mental health.
2: I think, I well, I know that, I, I, yeah, I, I've lived that. Yeah. I definitely mm-hmm. do. Uh, the Dimethyltrypamine mm-hmm. DMT is just um, something that really uh, got me through a tough period uh, my senior year of college. And um, yeah, so uh, back, sorry, back to the question. Uh, Divinorum is a drink from 700 years in the future, as Bashar describes it. It's like an ayahuasca type drink. So um, what, what I'm trying to do with this EP, uh, initially it was going to be an album, but now i just shortened uh-huh. it to an EP, and it's uh, basically taking the listener on a journey of, um, you know, it starts with a song called Paranoid, which is all about fear, my fears. Uh, then it goes wow. into a sort of a rage, angry type song. And what I'm trying to do with the listener is sort of purge these emotions. And what I think, hopefully, it does is that listeners can meet it at anywhere they're at emotionally. Because uh, the next song after that is called Divinorm, which is the title track. And, um, and then the last song, uh, Demons, which is a uh, sort of like a. Um, I've conquered, you know, what, I, what I've overcome. And it's more of an upbeat. Sure. So I'm trying to take the listener on a, on a uh, ju- uh, psychedelic journey as they listen to the uh, four-song EP. Right. And Bashar explains that oftentimes when we cry, we're actually purging the uh, negative, we're letting go of negative beliefs. And they these negative beliefs have chemical constituents in our body. So crying can actually be very therapeutic. <laughs> <because they're> letting, <laughs> you're letting go of these yeah. things. Mm-hmm. But me, yeah, 100%. exactly. 100%. And to this EP, it's actually like purging your third eye by listening to it. Is the general—that's
1: incredible. That is just that gave me chills.
0: So you also work uh, a lot with. I know uh, you've been affiliated with Nami. So can you go into details about what some of the stuff you've done with them and what they do exactly for people who don't live in Philly or don't are not too familiar with them? You can go into details about that.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I'm so, yeah, this is another uh, great point to bring up because I, I just love telling this story because um, it sort of goes into uh, more of Bashar's teachings of what I, what I believe to be true. But um, yeah, I was really depressed in the uh, summer of 2016, I believe. And I just knew um, one of the things Bashar explains is that we all have sort of like a higher self, a higher mind. And it, um, it guides us. Uh, it already knows your goals, your, your dreams and how to get you there, the best path to get you there. And it sort of leaves you with these little breadcrumbs of excitement, he calls it. And I feel like I was just, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I was just really depressed. I had like eight psychiatric hospitalizations that year, my first year out of jail, but I knew, I knew this one thing that uh, my higher self was leading me through these breadcrumbs. So I I was on the lookout for anything even remotely exciting that I could follow. Um, I saw a, uh, I think I saw a flyer for a NAMI uh, support group and I'm thinking, Hey, that's, that sounds like a breadcrumb to me, I can go there. Me and my mom went together actually, um, went to the support group. It turned out to not not exactly be um, what I was looking for, but they did say they were offering a course in the fall of that year, uh, which was um, called peer-to-peer counseling, if I remember correctly. Uh, boom, that's another breadcrumb right there. Uh, go, go to the course. Very first day, they hand out flyers saying they're looking for speakers for something called the Ending the Silence Program, which was very exciting to me where you get to go, basically go to high schools um, and middle schools and basically share your story with these high school students. And I think the coolest part about that job was I got to rap at the end of my presentations and I got to uh, spit a freestyle and then um, basically gain, gain a little bit of a fan base in the uh, Bucks County and Philadelphia area uh, who was really instrumental in getting my confidence up, uh, being able to uh, rap in front of a crowd. Which I had never done before up to that point, except in jail. So, um, yeah, that—that was—that uh, was basically the work. I'm not. I were you head
1: rapper on the block? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Were you the Fresh Prince Billy. of Were you the Fresh Prince of Philly? <laughs> That's actually that where that. Real Smith is from. Yeah,
2: yeah, I guess you could see it that way. Uh, no, I don't think I got that title, but... Uh,
1: oh, darn it, so, next... Yeah. Not next time. Yeah, not next <laughs> no time. Next time. <laughs> no next time. No next time.
2: Yeah, so I, I currently don't uh, uh, work for NAMI right now. I'm more transitioning into the private speaking sector uh, with my right. speaking Good brand, speaking environment, and uh, focusing Good on that you. and the music as well. But it was, it was a great, it was, it was an amazing uh, about four years uh, as a stepping stone to get me to where I'm at today. Just an amazing, um, help, really helped me to be more of myself and uh, lessen the yeah. shame around my story. I noticed it did that when I would speak, tell my story to these audiences and they would clap. You know, it, it, sort of, it definitely lessened the shame that went
0: yeah. along with it. So. For
1: you, yeah. Thanks well, so much. You know.
0: So I, I guess this would be a perfect time. Uh, we talked about this, you know, that mm-hmm. there's a favorite quote that I have from your book that was just became a Sort of a mantra for me ever since I read it. I had even alluded. I even ended my review of your book with that quote. So, uh, can you go ahead and uh, say that quote?
2: Yeah, us? absolutely. Uh, it was um, if you find yourself in a room uh, full of intimidating looks, you can always count on your reflection to smile back. And uh, that, I
1: hope, yeah,
2: I hope I didn't butcher it. I think that's what I said. Um, but the, well, you guys get the the main
0: the point. Just, of that.
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: it
0: was just yeah. be your own best friend. And um, That's true. that brings me to the... another question I had skipped earlier, but I, I did want to touch because you related to that quote, you had touched a little bit on your book about how important alone time is, right? You had said that, of course, people, we, as people, as human beings, we want to be with friends, family, loved ones. And obviously that's important as well. I'm not, but as equally important is learning to be alone. So can you expand a bit on that? Because I've always, even personally, my mantra has been solitude is underrated.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, and this goes back to the work I do with NAMI. I feel like a big message we, we're always telling people is that you're not alone. And I, I had a chapter about this in the book, uh, which was that, it's okay to be alone, you know? And I think we, yeah. we should supplement the you're not alone by saying, because what you're implying basically is that it's not okay to be alone. Yeah. Uh, at least that's the way I took it. And uh, that can be very scary if, if one day you do wake up and you're, you're in a jail cell, God forbid, or you are alone. And I think it is important, you really get to know yourself. And um, sure. yeah, in a jail cell, you know, I spent my whole uh, young adult life basically running from, from who I was. And in jail, you really can't run anywhere, so you've got to actually face that. So, that, yeah, it just speaks to the point that uh, it really is important. Alone time really is important, and, and uh, it's a great to even, like, a meditation practice, I, I would recommend. Do
1: you know what? About. That's what my kids' pediatrician said. Oh, wow. When your kids spend time with themselves alone, it's a meditation session.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well, and it's important that we teach, uh, I think, that we teach the kids that.
1: Meditation.
2: And if you, if you are one day uh, alone, you you know, you get lost somewhere as, as a kid, that can be a traumatic event, but if you teach your kids, no, it's okay to be alone, you have, and then I feel like they can access a whole higher okay. set of survival skills that they might not have otherwise had able to access if they were in fear, so.
1: But before you, before Neil's last question, can I ask you, just to tell everybody your social media handles, where they can get your EP, you know?
2: Absolutely, yeah, so I I go by the name- Spell us
1: in. I I go by the name- Spell us in.
2: I go go by the name Rex Mundi, but it's spelled R-X space M-U-N-D-I. If you want my, if you want to um, check out my EP, it's currently on- uh, rxmoondi.com my instagram social is rxmoondi world and uh spotify and apple music you can look me up with uh rxmoondi is one of my single maniac uh which came out last year is on there and my ep divinorm will be on there hopefully in the next uh, month or two uh, i'll try and get my best to get that out to uh, everybody and
1: we'll put your handles up on um on the description the, of this video. the description oh, so yeah, thank you guys so
2: much oh. really really People, appreciate
1: listen that. to this man because he's about right. to nail. Take it away. Well, you want to introduce them?
0: So, yeah. <laughs> How about some freestyling by Rx Mundy? an exclusive right here on our
1: podcast.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, it's literally my favorite thing in the world to do. So I'm so glad. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I had a, you're a, from a, Docs. A, yeah, Can you
1: hear my weird. dogs?
0: Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're your backup. They're
1: my yeah. dogs are your backup. <laughs> so embarrassed, but this is the real world view. Oh, it is.
2: Boy. Yeah. This, no, this is right, right on. It's, it is the real world. Um, so this is a freestyle I wrote about a year ago. Um, it goes like this. I said, um, they say the good die young. Why do grapes always die last? Bury me away from all the snakes in the high grass. Still see them coming when I wear my eye mask, stop their hearts cold, call a triple bypass. You still hide from the shadows that the sun casts. Remember that the fun lasts only till the gun blast. Call me a smart ass with a dark past, but the dog with the biggest bite always bark last. You can say I'm from the birds, but I grew up on State Road and I'm with my DJ. All they do is break codes. Pretty soon you'll see me on all of the late shows. You'll be in the eighth row while I watch the hate grow. New music dropping soon. I really set the bar high. Tell all the critics that I'm tripping off the far side. Sorry, but before we get back to the show, Black Lives Still Matter, better act like you know. And there it is. (laughs) Just a quick 16 for you guys. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my God, you are so good. Oh,
2: man, thank you guys so much. Oh, that That was
1: fantastic.
2: Really appreciate it. Guys, guys,
1: now you can bark. <laughs> now they're clapping, they're, they're sure. barking. Uh, that that was, really was. Amazing. Oh my God. Oh man. Fan. Fan.
0: <laughs>
2: well, this New was, this was so much fun, guys. I, I really, uh, like Rainy said, just love your energy. And this this was uh, one Thank of Thank you. Oh man, so good energy.
1: I'm waiting so for fun. that cheesesteak. Got yeah. it. <laughs> okay, buddy, you all take right, care. Man. Thanks well for coming on.
2: Much. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you guys much. so much. Really appreciate it, guys.
1: Thank take you. Care. Okay. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And thank you, Rohan, for coming on the show.
0: Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at all the links listed in the description. And don't forget to hit like on this video and subscribe to this channel so you never miss an episode. And if you want to show us a little extra love, we also have a link for donations. Thank you, everyone, once again. And we will see you right here at 9 a.m. Pacific. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Thanks.